You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. So last week I was planning on wanting to uh, spend some time walking through kind of what was next for 2022. But I found myself throwing up uh, profusively last Saturday night. And so I was not here on Sunday morning. I heard the service went really well. I was laying in bed, thought I was going to die in all seriousness. It was one of the worst sicknesses I've ever had. And it went through the whole family. It was a great night of barf and buckets that still we haven't cleaned because they're so disgusting. They just left outside. One day we'll get to them. But anyways, I wanted to cast some vision last week around what's happening in this coming year. So I'll do that now just for a couple of moments so you know what's coming next. Um, This is a really helpful card also for people that are joining us for the first time uh, to kind of get a vision of where we're going and what we're doing. I want to just kind of form or turn your attention to a couple different things. One is the teaching series. So uh, I'm a a scheduler. I'm a planner. That's That's how I like to work in the world. Some people love that. Some people it drives them nuts. But I think the beauty is here, we have kind of a really good direction of where we're going to go the next couple of months together. And so for the month of January, we're going to kind of do a, a, a recasting of some of the Missio basics that you're really familiar with if you've been part of our church, but in a fresh way. In February, we're going to jump into the Gospel of Mark. And so we're going to spend 16 weeks this year in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to start and stop along the year, along the way. So we'll start in February and then we'll pick it up again as we go through the year. Mark is potentially the most overlooked of the four Gospels. Uh, And there's some really, really, really interesting things that Mark is trying to do that I think it will equip and shape us as a people. And the question I have for you here, and I think this is what Mark's trying to say through his Gospel, is will we embrace a cross-shaped life? I think for our time and place, that's a really important question as we follow Jesus. When we get into Lent this year, which is in March through April, We're going to look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation in both the encouragements and warnings that Jesus gives to those churches for us as well. And then when we get past Easter, Easter's on April 17th, I believe, this year, we will jump into a a series looking at the rhythms of some of the practices of the early church and think about how those might shape us as well. And so this is kind of where we're going this year. I wanted to give you a, a direction of what's happening through the teaching, and I'd love for you to to be as part of many of these teachings as you can. If you turn to the right side of this form, to the equipping opportunities, I want to just highlight a couple of things here. One of the things that as the elders uh, met together and thought and planned through this next year was around the idea, really this was Keaton's original idea that then we stole as elders, so I'm going to give her a shout out, but around the idea of how could we create some environments, some equipping environments for the entire church across MCs that would maybe be embedded within the life of missional communities, but you don't have to be part of missional community to join one of these events. So over the course of 2022, there will be four equipping nights where we'll share a meal all together as a church and we'll have somebody equip us, most likely somebody from outside of our congregation will bring in to equip us on a particular area or thing that we would like to be equipped on. If you read the email this past week, and I have good stats on it, 75% read the email. Wow, guys, that was, that's one of our best emails we've ever had, okay? Because I follow those stats closely. If you read the email, uh, there was a link in there, a little quick survey. I'm actually going to send it to you right now on the Remind app again because I'd love for you to take one minute right now to just fill it out. All you have to do is check some boxes. 
because these will shape the equipping nights. This, this survey really is to get your feedback on what you would like to be equipped in this year as a church. So right now I'm saying this, people that aren't here are going to be like, what in the world? Um, no, not, not, not how you feel, David. Definitely, definitely not how you feel. So I just sent in, if you don't get this text, this is a great time to sign up for the Missio text thread. You can text at MD Tempe to 81010. I think most people here are signed up already. But you should have just got the link. If you just take the next minute to click on that link, some of you have already filled it out. Great job, six of you to be exact. Uh, and uh, if you want to fill out that link, you can check as many boxes as you'd like. And you can also look at the bottom there. It says like other or what is an other area that maybe isn't listed that you could put something in there. So just take the next minute to do that. And then I'll call us back. As you're filling that out, one other thing to note on here is on February 7th in the Marslander backyard, we're going to try something. We're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark this year. And Mark was intended not to be read, but to be listened to in one sitting. It takes about an hour and 15 to 30 minutes to listen to the whole gospel. And we're going to do that on February 7th. So if you want to set the date aside, it's a Friday night. We're going to listen through the entire gospel. Someone or we'll have multiple readers read through it. And we'll listen together of the whole story of Jesus from beginning to end. Yeah. Yes, it's a Monday. Sorry, not a Friday night. Thanks for correcting me. That is correct. It's a Monday night, yeah. That was, that was the plan. Thanks for correcting me on that. It's not a Friday. It's a Monday night. The, f- the formation's on Fridays, the 4th and then in April as well. April 1st, that's not no fools. That's, gonna really, that's really going to happen on April 1st. So hopefully you filled out that survey. Love your feedback as we shape and uh, think through those equipping nights. I'd love for you to be part of it. We'll put an Eventbrite together and have you sign up so I have an idea of who's coming and what kind of format we'll put together for that. So these are just a couple of things that are happening uh, in our community this next year. Uh, more details to come as we go, but I just wanted to highlight that for you as you're here, and thank you for filling out the survey. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon this morning. Lord Jesus, Lord over all of creation, even this morning as we gather in the cold uh, and listen to the sound of the wind through these pine trees here, I'm just overwhelmed by your goodness, uh, what you've made, your intentionality and care for your creation and how you've even shaped and cared for us. So even as we're cold this morning, as we uh, press in, as we get the, the, the radiance of this light upon us from the sun, would it remind us of your radiance, Jesus, that shines on us, that now, Jesus, you see us uh, through your finished work on the cross, and so we can stand before you, God, uh, standing uh, righteous, uh, made new, made whole, uh, healed, uh, and longing for the ultimate healing that is to come. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you be with us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me paint three, uh, three stories, three pictures for you as we think about how to maybe navigate these different things. The first one is this. In the early 1800s, there was a new psychi- uh, psycho- uh, psychiatrist that came on the scene. And he was expressing and formulating some new ideas around what it means to be human. And in a culture where uh, our sexual identity was repressed or was taboo, he made it the core and center of what it means to be human. His name was Sigmund Freud. And Freud in the 1800s put sexuality at the core of who you are. 
Sigmund Freud was the kindling in many ways of the sexual revolution of the 1960s. In the last 60 years, we have, in a sense, experienced the effects of his ideas, that this idea of psychology became then a philosophy, became a worldview that now many and all of us have been shaped by. So even the last couple of years, the last five years, we've had all these different movements around this conversation of sexuality. We've had the Me Too movement, Church Too, Purity Culture. We've had the pervasiveness of pornography that's in our culture, the reality of that. We've had uh, conversations around gender and pronouns, same-sex relationships, all these different things. The question for us is, how do we in love navigate this cultural current? Second one. For nine minutes and 23 seconds, Derek Chauvin stood his knee, or put his knee on the neck of George Floyd on May 25th, 2020. Shortly after this, our country was turned upside down. There was protesting, there was rioting, there was brokenness everywhere. There was conversations happening uh, uh, communally as far as our whole nation and in homes. This conversation around race and justice became center. What was your vision of America? Is America defined by 1619 or 1776? Is America fundamentally racist or has America lived into its ideals that all men are created equal? Even many from our church participated peacefully in a protest and a, a time of prayer in the, uh, during the capital, uh, at the Capitol uh, during the next month or so after those events. Trying to engage with how do we, how do we make sense of all of this? Uh, an idea in the academy, critical race theory, became a mainstream conversation that now is all over the place, which is trying to create a solution and a vision for what justice might look like in our world with the disparities, disparities and discrepancies of race in the systems of our country. How do we in love navigate all of this? A couple of months ago, Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty on the charges that were put before him. And if you've been following the news at all the last year, Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old boy who went to Wisconsin, was seen as both America's hero and villain simultaneously. And what was most nauseating for me is that depending on what news agency you follow or a place that you engage with, you were getting completely different accounts of the events that took place. How do you navigate all of that? Rittenhouse is an icon, a symbol of the political polarization in our world that continues to pull us apart, making friends enemies. And that's not just out there, that's in the church too. We've had churches in our city literally split into two over the polarization that's happened in our country the last couple of years. Where people like, I'm done with that church. I'm going to go align myself with a church that has more to my political preferences and allegiances. How do we in love navigate all of this? Three pictures, three cultural currents. And we have a choice to make as a church the next couple of years, the next five to ten years. Will we, if we imagine this as currents like a rushing river or water, just like that rushing piece of paper? I don't need it. You can just hold it. Do we want to step out of the river, the currents, and just kind of sit on the sideline and disengage from the world and say, ah, oh, that's not really important. Let's just sit over here and kind of have a holy huddle. 
do we want to, in a sense, jump into the currents and grab some kind of floating device and let it just sweep us along and let it be shaped and shape us in every, whatever way it would like, these different currents? Or could we, in a sense, put our feet down in the water, in the river, this rushing current, create a form of resistance, not just, in a sense, for, to be against, but to offer to people who are floating by a better way, a better way of what it means to be human, what it means to engage in these areas of sex, race, and justice, and politics. That's the question. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to, um, to some people around you, and I want you to, this is a kind of, the conversations today are a little, are a little bit brave, so play, play along. Uh, I want you to turn to people around you. As you think about those three conversations happening in our culture, around sexuality, race and justice, and politics, which one are you most passionate about? Like, in a sense, like you want to engage with or you have a really strong opinion about. You don't need to share your opinion. It might offend somebody around you. Uh, so tread, tread carefully. But which one are you, in a sense, like that's the one I want to press into or that's the one that gets me excited or passionate about. That's the one I want to be a presence in. Turn to some people around you and then I'll call you back. Hopefully one, of, one or two of you that wanted to share, got to share, of which one kind of gets you excited. Maybe you're passionate about or you have opinions about or maybe even like what you're afraid of could also be part of this conversation. Nathan's got a really good point, so I'm going to let him finish here. It's really good. So the question is, with all three of these areas, around sexuality, race, injustice, politics, you can notice how they blend together, right? It's kind of hard to separate them. There's a question of why are they so powerful? Why are the currents so powerful for all three of these areas? The reason why all three are such powerful currents is all three are claiming to offer a comprehensive vision and worldview. They're trying to answer the questions of what are humans are made for? What's the problem? What is progress? Where is history heading? All three are trying to tell you a story that shapes then your identity and your practices. A story. And we're going to talk this whole month in January around some of the basics of Missio and what we're supposed to do and how we're to be formed and how we're formed by God together for the sake of others. Those will be the next three weeks. But today I want to start in a familiar place for many of you, whether you've been part of Missio for 10 years or two months. And that's with the idea of story. With story. Now, seriously, I, I can think of many conversations I have with people in this congregation, even here, like, gosh, we talk about story all the freaking time. Like, are we ever going to just move on to something else more important? But this is important. This is so central. And what's dangerous for us as a congregation and for us as a church, and this is for any organization or business, is what is most familiar has the capacity to become, uh, we become complacent or apathetic towards. Familiarity can breed apathy. Where, ah, it's not that important. 
But if these are claiming a comprehensive vision of story of how the world is supposed to work, we need a better story. We need the true story of the world. And if anything Missio de, Missio de Communis has offered our city the last 15 years, it's those story symbols and the idea that the Bible is one unified story. It's one story from creation to restoration with Jesus as the hero that invites us as Jesus' followers to play a role in. And it's to shape all areas of human life, including sexuality, race and justice, and politics. And the challenge of all those areas is they become this meta-narrative, this story that stands above instead of underneath this one true story of the world. And why this is so important for us, my friends, is honestly, if we do not press into this idea that we are part of this other story, the people sitting to your right and your left will slowly become not brothers and sisters, but they will become enemies. You will demonize the other. You will find yourself in another story swept away on the cultural current, reforming your identity and your practices, and you will miss what Jesus is trying to do in the true story of the world and shaping your hearts individually and us as a community and the whole world. This is why it's so important. From creation, rebellion, promise, redemption, restoration, church restoration. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn back to the folks that are, you just talked to. And not everybody has to do this. We're just going to have one person do this. But as a practice, as a practice, what I want us to do is I want you to tell one of those areas we talked about, the story of sexuality, race and justice, or politics, through the story, through the lens of the story. One of the course corrections we could make as a, as a church is being winsome about how we tell the story and contextualizing to the audience that we're talking to. As we talk and have different conversations around these areas and others, how do we speak the story to the areas of, that we just talked about, to the areas of people's hearts where they're hurting or they desire clarity or they're looking for meaning, even in these three areas that are offering a story. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just give you some questions, but I'd love for one person in your group to choose one of those areas, sexuality, race and justice, politics, and to tell those areas of human life through the lens of the story. Here's some questions that maybe help you as you think through the six acts. Creation. How does this theme show up in the goodness and order of God's creation? How does this area of human life, sexuality, politics, race, and justice? Rebellion. How has this area of human life been distorted and twisted by sin, both personally, communally, and cosmically? Promise. As God worked in Israel, how was this theme of life supposed to be shaped? Redemption. How did Jesus interact with this area of human life and bring healing? Church. How has the church been called to be a community displaying good news in this area? And then restoration, what is the hope of this area of human life when Jesus returns and makes all things new? This might be really challenging, honestly, to run one of these things through that grid. But remember, this is the story we're a part of. And so as we speak winsomely to the people in our culture, we need to tell it through the lens of this story. So turn the people around you, take a couple of minutes. You can just have one person that's the most brave in your group. But run one of those themes through the story, and then I'll call us back. All right, I'm going to call you guys back. 
Hopefully you had a... I love you, bud. Hopefully you had a chance to share, at least one of you, at least some of the, the basic parts of retelling these areas of human life through this story. If I think about us as a church, we use this phrase a lot about the gospel or the gospel story. We say we've been sent to demonstrate and declare the good news. Demonstrate and declare the good news. What does that mean? Well, demonstrate, like we need to embody the gospel. We're the the body of Christ. When people interact with us as a community, they should taste and see and hear and be able to touch Christ in many ways by the way that we live together. We want to embody good news. And many of us, I would say, dare to say, have come from traditions where uh, the vision of the gospel was only to declare. We just got to tell people the right information. Like, yeah, like almost someone standing up in the middle of ASU and just screaming out the gospel, or at least a form of it. So in many ways, we've tried to correct that and say, no, we're supposed to demonstrate. We're supposed to embody the gospel. People are supposed to taste Christ as they interact with us as a community. But I wonder, and here's my challenge for us, I wonder if we've, in a sense, swung the pendulum the other way, where we're hesitant, we're not skilled in, we're not uh, praying winsomely of how do we declare good news that speaks to people's hearts? How do we have this story that we've been given and speak it winsomely, prophetically, to the pains and hurts of people's hearts, to the things that they're passionate about and excited about, to their vocations and jobs, to their families? How do we shape for them and declare what good news might look like. So here's my simple challenge for us this year. It's over the course of this entire year. We have a whole year to do it. So you you can procrastinate for a couple of months if you need. But we have about, as a congregation, we have about 40 40 households. What I mean by that is 40 different places people live. Singles, married, families. We have 40 households. My, My desire for us, my simple goal that would, it's going to take a lot of hard work, and, but yet I think could do profound things, is as we go about the work of demonstrating the gospel, what would it look like for each of those households to see the gospel declared six times this year? Six different times. That over the course of this year, as we look back at the end of 2022, we would have seen the gospel declared to neighbors, coworkers, one another, friends, the least, the lost, and lonely, 250 times. People being able to see it, demonstrate it. So don't forget that part. We're supposed to demonstrate, right? Hey, come experience the gospel. But people need to hear good news as well. And in our moment, our cultural moment of all these different currents, people really do need good news. They need a framework of how to think about themselves, about justice, about sexuality. They need need hope. They need to figure out what it looks like to, to, to live into who they really are. That's my challenge for us. And I'm going to bring that to us over this year. That'd be, a, that'd be once every couple months. And the gospel doesn't always have to be like, hey, David, let me tell you the whole story here. The next 10 minutes, take a seat. And let me tell you as my neighbor here, this big comprehensive vision. It could be, hey, one part of the story about creation about the goodness of what God's made. It could be about rebellion, like, hey, this, yeah, you're experiencing the distortion and disruption of a broken world. Like, what do we do with that? It could be Jesus. It could be a particular story about how Jesus meets with somebody and an encounter he has. It could be hope and restoration. Hey, one day our hope is that God will do this. He will, he will restore in this way. 
But that's my challenge for us. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn again for the last time to those people that you've been with. And I just want you to pray. And here's how I want you to pray. As we talked about sharing the gospel contextually, I want right now a person to come to mind that right now is not following Christ. That over the course of this year, you might pray for an opportunity to both, yes, demonstrate, but to declare. To, to declare to this person who Christ is and what story they can be a part of. So right now, think of that person. And then uh, in, a, in a minute or two, when, or whenever that person comes to mind, turn to the people next to you. You don't need to even name them if you, do, if you don't feel comfortable doing that. But just begin to pray for boldness that this year we would, yes, demonstrate and declare through our communities, through our lives, through our workplaces, through our neighborhoods, the good news in a culture that's hurting for news, good news of what Jesus has done. So sit with that just for a moment and see who comes to mind and then, and then pray with the people that you're with before. call you back. You can finish your prayer, not as the only time, hopefully we enter into prayer like this, but as a rhythm for this year. Our story, the story that we're a part of begins with this masterful artist, this craftsman God, who made this good, right, and beautiful world. Our world that he's made was overflowing in the beginning with these hidden potentials. God's creation wasn't this finished product that he made, but it was this ongoing project that you and I as humans were invited to participate in. God made humans to reflect and represent him. And at the beginning of our story, they were to partner with God to see his, cult, his creation cultivated, to see communities formed, to see relationships bloom. It was beautiful. It was amazing. And yet, like most stories, shortly in, there's a conflict that enters. Adam and Eve choose to actually live, those first humans, in a different story. They're deceived by the serpent. They take from the fruit they're not supposed to eat. They had this whole creation to enjoy, and they take the one forbidden fruit from the one forbidden tree. Immediately, as they rebelled against God, sin and curse swept over creation, all of it was broken. And not only that, it got worse and worse. There was murder, strife, entire cities against God, seeking to make a name for themselves. The creation that God had made that was so good and beautiful and right has been marred and looks disfigured. And yet, and yet, our God, the creator God who made his universe did not step back from what he made, he did not remove himself and say, ah, I'm done with that. No, but he stepped in. Our God is the great missionary God who is on a mission from the very beginning to redeem and restore all that he's made. He loves his creation and his humans too much to abandon them. And so story after story is a story of God on mission to reconcile people 
communities and his entire creation to himself. And he begins to set aside people. He sets aside Abraham. And through Abraham, he's going to bless the world. He sets aside Moses to liberate his people from Egypt. He sets aside David to be a king that would foreshadow the king that would be to come, that would reign over all of God's creation. But again, over and over, God's people and his creation worked in rebellion against him. And the story spirals and spirals and spirals and it's been silent. God isn't speaking anymore. He seems distant. And then this small little town of Bethlehem, this little baby boy is born, this helpless babe, Jesus of Nazareth. A miraculous birth. And what's promise of this, this child is that this child was the son of Abraham to bless the world. He was the son of David to be king forever over God's creation. In his entire life, he embodied what it looks like to truly be human. He took the fractured creation and began to heal it and make it whole. He took people that were hurting and broken physically and made their limbs work. He took people that were racked with shame and guilt and condemnation and they were forgiven. But the great twist of the story that didn't make any sense is at the end of his life, he was killed. He was supposed to come as this triumphing king, but now he's dead. He seems to be a fraud. People that had hoped in him had figured maybe he wasn't actually who he said he was. There was silence for three days. On the third day, these women went to the tomb to care for Jesus' body. And when they got there, the stone was rolled away. They peered inside and it was empty. An angel told them that Jesus had rose from the dead, just as he said. And in that moment, in that moment, they tasted for the first time new creation that had come, not in the future, but had come into the present. They went out and they told the disciples and for the next 40 days, Jesus instructed them of what it looks like now through the power of the Spirit to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so that now, 2,000 years later, you and I stand here in this cold, frigid morning. Jeez, it's cold. You gather here because you believe he rose from the dead. He sent out his disciples and his followers and by the Spirit, you were saved. You were forgiven. You were brought into his family. And you join this long line, this table that stretches miles and miles of disciples that sit with the king and feast with him. And every week, you taste a little part of that feast. Every week, you come to this communion table to be nourished by the king as you wait for his return. Every week, we have this little symbol this little picture of what God has done and will do in his world. He takes and gives us his body and his blood, the bread and the juice. And so would you stand with me as we play our role in this part of the story, as we look to his coming at the end of the story, and as we're nourished for the journey ahead through this communion meal. Let me read some words to you, and then I'll invite you to come and take from the king. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me likewise after supper Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink this all of you for this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins whenever you drink it do this in remembrance of me and we do this each week and we're going to continue even here in 2022 
we proclaim the mystery, which is a mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let's say it together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and take from the King.